It's good to be here this morning. And uh, you know, I <clears throat> I feasted all week. I I thought of last week at the end we had the altar prayer, and you know, and I didn't notice how many people came up. I knew a lot came, but when I I stood up, I know some of you heard me holler. I said, "That's a beautiful sight," but that's what I was talking about. I just people were all over the altar and down the sides and and uh it's about as many as you could put up here and uh and so that was a thought that's went through my mind several times since last week and uh but isn't it good to when you can pray together like that i mean i love to pray there's times i need to be alone to pray it's, it's different situations, but I need to be alone. But there's also other times that you just need your brothers and sisters just to kneel down and pray with you. There's just something that's just uplifting to God. It just seems like that is worshiping God is when we're praying for each other and for situations that we don't even know. And... And that's why the Bible mentions so much about the prayer, the power of prayer, the power of uh, the, the the prayer of a righteous man. He said, "Availeth much, and much less a, a church and as a whole." So, uh, thank you for uh, that. I'm glad the, the the church was moved to pray, and, and, and I hope we continue that any time that the Lord you know moves to do it. Uh, this morning, uh, we're in the book of uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And I put on there, you know, build that wall. You know, we've heard that a lot in the last year or so. Hadn't we? Build that wall. And so that's nothing new. That's something that we know uh, quite a bit about right now. We've heard a lot about it. But this one here is Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, it is just wonderful and rich in lessons for us today. The whole book, there's just so many lessons in it. It's a historical book that tells about the history of the Jews. But more than that, so I believe it's symbolic and it's a lesson for us. All through this, it's symbolic. The life of Nehemiah and his leadership can be used today. And that's why Nehemiah has been used so much by different preachers and different churches, there's lessons of building a church and, and, and building unity and different things that Nehemiah has been used for. But, and that's what I keep stressing over and over in these Old Testament books, is they are historical. But that's just one little point of it. That's not the main part, I don't believe it, why God put it in the Bible. It's for us today to take what it teaches us and apply it today. Because it affects me now. Amen. Then in his day, I may be interested in it, but it didn't affect me. It's gone and in the past. But today it does. I want to know what about today. How is it going to help me, the church, and my relationship? And so that's what God's had it for. But Nehemiah here, he was a cupbearer for the king. Now a cupbearer was a person... Now, he was a Jew. He's thought a lot of to be picked as a Jew to be a cupbearer for the king. He was very close to the king. He tasted of the wine and the food before the king did because to prevent him from being poisoned or from harmed. Every time he would taste it and then give it to the king. 
And so that's what he was for because in that day you poisoned the king got rid of him. That was a good way to, to do it. But he was the cupbearer. Now he was very close to him. He was very trusted because you don't pick nobody to test it for you that's not on your side right here. And so he had the king's ear. Uh, and he had a lot of power here. But now... He heard that the Jews, which he was a Jew in Judah, it says in the third, the first chapter and third verse, it says that they had great affliction and reproach. And Nehemiah, it bothered Nehemiah terribly. It, it, it affected him. And God wanted him to hear it. He sent it to Nehemiah because Nehemiah was the one that was chosen by God to build this wall. And he heard about it, and he heard about the affliction and the reproach that the people had. And so he approached the king, and he got the king to appoint him as governor of Judea and give him the authority and the resources to build that wall. And it was a big undertaking here. But now, Nehemiah, the steps that he did, it was the right way to do things. In a church or in a, a home or whatever, he did it in the proper steps here. Now, he prayed to God to touch the king's heart before he ever even went and spoke to him. He went and prayed at that, and he said to ask God to touch the king's heart so that he might do what he's asking him here. And so he knew that God had to intervene. Now, the steps here, he surveyed the wall at night. He didn't just jump in and start just doing stuff all hectic and all. He went at night where nobody would see him. He went out there and he surveyed the whole wall to see what it looked like before he even approached the people. He assembled a labor force and he divided them up into sections so that where they lived it would be important to them. And then he supervised the entire process was Nehemiah. He worked day and night. He would not leave it because it was important to him. He put his nose to the grindstone and it was his responsibility and he was leading it and he had a lot of opposition that tried to get him to quit, to come out and to trick him and all this and even to murder him. But he said, I, you know, he was too busy. He had too much great work to do. And so, the, and then he finished the wall, it tells us, in 52 days. Now in that day and time, 52 days... I doubt today, Jason, we could, our government could build a wall this big in 52 days, you know. But uh, uh, it, it was terribly fast, and that was all hand labor. Back labor was what was doing this here. But the process that Nehemiah did, he did it so, uh, he, he approached God first. He looked over, he surveyed the situation, he thought it over, he prayed to God. And then he, he divided it up and gave different responsibilities. And, and then he supervised all of it. He didn't just send somebody else out there to do it. He did it the right way. But now, while he's doing this, a lot of opposition's facing him. He's faced a, a lot of it. In, in the second chapter, he's mocked. These, uh, they're Arabs is what they are. When they find out that uh, in, in 2 and 19, when... He tells them, they find out what he's doing. They make fun of him. They laugh at him. They said, who is to come here and help these Jews? Who's got the gall to come and even help these pitiful Jews, you know, and made fun of him here. They, they had armed raids. They sent people in to try to attack them. That was in the fourth chapter. They had even a ruse. They tried to draw him out of the city to murder him in the sixth chapter. 
They tried to send him a, a message to get him to come out and to meet with them. And he knew not to listen because they were going to murder him when they got him outside of it. He was even faced with that. He was blackmailed in the sixth chapter. They said, you're trying to put yourself up as a king. When you get that wall built, you're going to establish yourself as king. So they tried to blackmail him here. And that didn't work. And he, he prayed in that chapter. He said, oh God, strengthen my hands. Oh God, strengthen my hands. You know, that's a good thing for you and I to say. When, when we're being uh, blackmailed, when we're in opposition, when things are going bad and wrong and everything's coming in against us, we need to say, Oh God, strengthen my hands. He wouldn't leave the work. He wouldn't stop. He said, Just give me the strength to finish what I'm doing. Give me the strength to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, we need to pray that people as a Christian, as a church, give us strength to finish the work that you've given us to do. And everybody in here, God has given you a work to do. He's given you a work. He's given this church a work to do. And I pray that God will give us the strength, strengthen my hands, to do it as long as there's breath in us, that we won't lay down the, the, the Bible, we won't lay down the work and go somewhere else, but we'll do what God has us to do here. Amen. And then, he, they even had a prophet that they hired to, to foretell of his death. This this accusing him that you're going to die trying to make him feel so bad that he wanted to quit. Now, you and I get discouraged, don't we? That's the greatest thing that Satan gives us is discouragement. Look at Nehemiah. He was threatened. He was blackmailed. He was accused. He was lied about. He had all these oppositions to get him. Now, these were coming from every corner. These Arabs were coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west on Jerusalem. All of them were coming in and, and uh, trying to destroy what he was doing. Now, we feel that way sometimes, but we had nothing like Nehemiah had here. But Nehemiah didn't listen to them. That's where Billy was saying it, the numbers. He was outnumbered so bad it was pitiful. All of these kingdoms were against him. He had, it was him. And then he had the Jewish people that was helping him. But he was outnumbered terrible here. And they didn't want it built. And they said, you're a fool. You're a fool for going to church and worshiping God. Wasting your time and all this kind of crazy stuff that you're doing. And Nehemiah kept going with it. You know, I'd like to read in that first chapter some of this. Uh, turn to Nehemiah, the first chapter. And verse, start with verse 2 and go through about 11 now. I, I want you to listen to his prayer. This is Nehemiah's prayer for Israel. Now, we, in Sunday school, talked about Solomon's prayer, which was a wonderful prayer. But now, this is Nehemiah's prayer, and it goes along in, in the same line as that one did some of it. And years ago, on that sixth verse, I wrote America above that. I wrote America on that, and you could fill that in with that. But starting with the second verse, it says, And Hanai, one of my brethren, came, he and a certain men of Judah, and asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left to the captivity concerning Jerusalem. They said, well, how things are going? That's what they're saying. And they said unto me, the remnant, the remnant, again, there it is, that are left of the captivity, there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And then it says, and he came to, and it came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, 
the great and terrible or reverend God here that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love Him and observe His commandments. Now verse 6, Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayers of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have I sinned. We could put in the words right there, the, the sins of the children of America. We could fill that in. We have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Now Nehemiah, he didn't say they have and they did it. He said we have. Amen. He included himself here. And so that is us because we have let things happen and we're part of it. But here... Nehemiah was praying to God and he was admitting it and he was asking God to do something with it. Verse 7, We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost parts of heaven, yet will I gather them from hence, and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now there are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by the great power and by the strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That was the king. For I was the king's cupbearer. Amen. He said he's asking God to be attentive to my prayer. Attentive to my repentance. Attentive. He's praying. One man is praying for the nation of Israel. One man. Now I believe if it wasn't for Nehemiah, that wall wouldn't have been built. Amen. Unless God had called somebody else, the other people wasn't going to do it. But Nehemiah was, and he was the one to lead it. Somebody, uh, a solitary soul come along the scene and did it here. Now, we're talking about walls here. Walls, a wall is a symbolic structure. It's always been a symbolic structure. A wall is a statement. A wall is a statement. Now, just like we're talking, we hear so much now about the, the wall with Mexico. It's not going to keep anybody out, but it's a statement. It's a statement saying, you know, we're going to uphold the laws and so forth of the nation is what is being said here. But these walls, and that's what the wall here around Jerusalem was. It was for protection, but it was also a statement that the people were united. The people were uh, under God's care is what it was. Now let's look at some of the different walls in the Bible. The walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho, they symbolize the pride and the arrogance of those sinful people. They thought there was no way those little Israelites with their bows and arrows could come in here and destroy this great city that we got with all this walled. They can't even get in. But what God was showing them, it was nothing when matched with obedient people who trusted in the power of God. And that's like you and me. We may not be nothing against that force. Nothing. But God, obedient people that trust in the power of God, 
They're nothing to that. There's no opposition to it. And that's where it comes in to the point of numbers here. It, it, numbers don't matter. It, it's the, the power of God and obedient people. That's the way a church, a church is alive. People are saved. People move up and join when the power of God is there. When people are obedient, no matter what the number is, when they're obedient and doing what God wants them to do, there is something happens. Have you ever seen one that wasn't? Have you ever been in a service when people were obedient that God's power didn't move somewhere? It sure did. You can't cover it with a sack. I mean, it's going to go somewhere. It comes out. Now, the, another wall that we've heard, the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall that, that some of us grew up hearing about so much, it symbolized the division between the east and the west then. But it also symbolized the misery and despair of the people that were in communism is what it, it represented here. And then, but you know, there's a, a, the famous picture there in the 80's when they finally let them tear it down. The people, uh, you know, they were over here with guards on the, the wall. And they weren't trying to keep them out. They were trying to keep you in. Many of them got killed trying to cross that thing. They would look over here and see all the prosperity, the good food and the clothes and the cars. We're over here in this old dark dungeon thing and everybody can't make nothing. We want to get over there. You know, it was only made sense. But when they got a chance to get that old dirty old wall, you saw them, they were on top of it. They had sledgehammers. They had jackhammers. There was kids. There were women. They were men. I remember this one guy, he was just beating the hound out of it. He was on top of it, and he was probably saying, I've hated you from the moment I was born. I've been under this thing. And he beat it and beat it. You know, one time, years ago, we went by West Point, and I got to see a piece of that wall. There was a big old piece about 20 foot long and about 20 foot high of the Berlin Wall. And it was beat up, boy. It was painted on it. There was chunks out of it. You could see where people hit that thing with a hammer. And it was beat all to pieces, but it was stacked up against a wall there in it. But I remember just looking at it and thinking, thank God they got to tear that thing down and did away with it there. But that was a wall at that one there. The Great Wall of China that still stands 1,500 miles long. It was it is there. And it symbolizes the vast power of the of the Qin dynasty that was in the third century BC. And they built that wall because of, of the invaders from the north. And, and it was like 30 feet high, 25 feet wide. It's got a road on top of it with towers in certain positions all down through it. And it was making a statement here. It was it was intimidating. I mean, you come to invade this country and you look at a 1,500 mile long uh, structure that nobody had ever built anything like that. It was intimidating. It was saying to the people, don't you even dare. Don't you even dare invade our nation. Because it wasn't going to stop them, but it was so intimidating that it stopped the people. That was the, the, the wall of China there. But strength and protection is what the wall represents. Now I want you to... We're talking about walls, but we're going to get to people in a minute. The wall... The wall to people. The walls of Babylon. Daniel tells us that the walls of Babylon uh, were 380 feet thick and 100 feet tall. They thought they were safe inside of that thing because it was so much of a wall here. But you know, now the Nehemiah's wall. Let's look at what Nehemiah's wall means to me and you. 
And what we're to look at this today and why these walls are important. But it, was, it has a deep spiritual meaning, this wall does. It's not just the wall of Jerusalem, but it's a spiritual meaning. It, it, it symbolizes the act that all of us believers should undertake at some time. We should do this. I want you to listen to this. God calls each of us, God calls each of us to rebuild the walls of our lives. God calls every one of us to rebuild the walls of our lives. You know, walls, I said, are for protection. How many times have you, something has happened to you and that there was a wall there? It's either protected you or kept you from doing something. I was thinking this morning, how many times, God, I said, I need that wall, God. We're human. We're fallible. We're sinful. But you know, God, when He saves us, He puts a wall around us. Now, He's not protecting us from everything, but there's many times in my life, and you think about yours right now, that there was a wall there. Because something did not happen that could have messed you up bad. That could have messed up your life. But it didn't. Because there was a wall there. Now, God is calling all of us to rebuild that wall. That wall gets crumbly. That wall gets torn down sometimes. And when it does, we're in danger. We're, we don't have the protection. We don't have the strength that we do when we have it there. And we're very vulnerable to Satan and to sin when that happens to us. Now Jerusalem here, it is a symbol of the city of God. Now God dwells, His dwelling place was thought of as Jerusalem. That was the city of God. That's where God dwells. And so that was symbolic. And, and, and so uh, it's why Nehemiah asked permission here to do this. And, uh, but today, where does God dwell? He dwells in each one of us, doesn't He? And so that's where He dwells. God needs the wall there because that's where He dwells is among us here. You know, in Nehemiah 2 and 20, Look at that verse just a minute. Nehemiah 2 and 20. You know, we've heard and we hear all the time on the news, they're fighting. Israel and the Arab nations have been fighting my whole lifetime over who owns that city of Jerusalem. Right here, Nehemiah tells them. Right here. <laughs> Years ago, he tells them right here who owns that city. And they own it today. But look at this. Uh, Nehemiah 2 and 20. They are mocking him and, and, and kidding him here. But on verse 20, he says, Then answered I them and said unto them, He's talking to these Arabs here. He, he said, The God of heaven, He will prosper us. Therefore, we, His servants, will rise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. He says, you have no claim, no right. It's not yours. It's God's people. It's the Jews. It is settled. And now then, a thousands of years later, we're still negotiating which part of this city is yours and which part is mine. God told us here, He's told it over and over, for hundreds of years, it's the Jewish peoples is who it is. And yet, we want to back this one and compromise with this one, scratch this one's back and scratch that one's back, and there won't never be no peace. It's not what God said. Now, it's been my whole lifetime I've been doing it. I guess yours too. They have never, and they never will. 
They hate each other with passion and they want them wiped off the face of the earth. I heard the Iranian president say, we want them wiped off the face of the earth. Now that's pretty doggone bad. <laughs> and we don't listen to God's Word and it will not work. Amen. What government official would have the nerve to step into a meeting and say, let me read you Nehemiah 2 and 20. <laughs> he wasn't there, would he? <laughs> I wish they would. But anyway, he tells them here, but when we, build, when we rebuild the walls of our lives, we're reestablishing the strength and the protection that God gives us. That's what we do when we're praying, when we're singing, when we're in church, when we're uh, just, just communing with God here. We're building that wall up again and keeping it built up. You know, uh, just it can be uh, this lesson can be learned as individuals, as a church, a community, or even a nation here. That, that if we do this, we have to rebuild them. Nehemiah's telling us it doesn't always stay. Has your wall always been perfect, shined, and cleaned around you? Of course not. It's probably been shattered and cracked and torn down and rebuilt and done again and all this. And that's what he's telling us here. You know, in uh, Job 1 and 10, what did Satan, when he's talking with God here, what does he say that you've got around Job? Job 1 and 10. It says, Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land? Sure! He said, you got a wall around Job. Look at everything that's been blessed. You and I have had walls. I know I have. I've had a wall around, around me, and things that I have touched has been blessed, not because of me, but because God had that wall around me. And He was protecting, and He was blessing, and He was keeping you from danger, and also He was keeping you from the devil a lot of times that was wanting to ruin you and ruin your life and change the direction that you were going to be living in. Amen. And He's done that for all of us. The question, what's, the, what's your purpose in life? What's your purpose in life? How are you making a difference? How are you think about it. how are you making a difference? What's your purpose in life? <laughs> what kind of person is God looking for? What kind of person is God looking for? You know, we, we may just be merely trying to survive. That He's not wanting us to do that. Later on in this, you'll see that old Nehemiah didn't just survive. He took a hold of that city and he straightened some people out. <laughs> He didn't merely, but we might be just trying to survive is all we're doing. What kind of person is God looking for? You know, I heard a story. There was a football coach and, and, and he had a recruiter that was one of his former players. And he told him to go out and to recruit some players for him. And the young recruiter, he said, well, coach, he said, uh, what kind of players are we looking for? And the old coach, he said, well, he said, you know the kind that gets knocked down and they don't get up? He said, we don't want them. He said, you know the kind that he said, and then there's the other kind. He said, they get knocked down, and they get up, but then they get knocked down again, and they stay down. We don't want him either. Then he says, then there's this other kind. So he, you knock him down, and he gets up. You knock him down, and he'll get up every time that you knock him down. That old young recruit said, that's it, coach. That's who we want in. That's who we want. And the coach bellowed at him, no, we don't want that. Said, I want the guy that's knocking all of them down. He said, That's the one I want. 
And that's what we should look at. Is not just to survive, not just to make it, but sometimes to go on the offensive. The offensive. And that's what Nehemiah was doing here. He wasn't just surviving. He wanted that kind. He wanted the one that was knocking them down was who he wanted. That's who he wanted here. But, you know, and that's what God wants us here. You know, wouldn't it be nice to be on the offensive for a while instead of the defensive? Too many times, and I got to thinking about that. We are. I am. We think too defensively. We're trying just to survive. We're trying just to keep what we got. We're trying not to lose this. We're trying not to lose our kids and all this. And we need to be on the offensive sometimes. And, 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 and like Nehemiah was here. They told him he couldn't do it. Uh, that, that he couldn't. They was going to threaten him. And he said, I'm going to show you. And he did it. He went forth and he put forth. He was on the offensive here. And later on in the, the book, he gets more on the offensive. You know, but to remember that we're in a war. That we're in a war. We're in a fight to the finish. Now, people don't like to think of that, that we as a Christian people and church is in a war. Yes, we are. We're in a war and we're in a fight to the finish with Satan. It will never stop. He'll never leave us. He'll never step away. It's a fight to the finish. And we don't take that a lot of times as a church that way. We back up and be a nice person and we think, you know, we think we are. And then yet, it is a war. It is a war. There is no truce and there is no neutrality. Never, never is there any uh, neutrality. You know, I read an article in the, uh, my decision magazine and it was about a church in Glasgow. It was a St. Mary's Cathedral. And instead of reading the Scriptures on January the 6th, they had a Muslim law student read a passage from the Quran as a bridge-building exercise. As a bridge-building exercise. <laughs> you know, there's no truce and there's no neutrality. <laughs> you can't do that. God is not going to... Well, he said, no other name under heaven must thou be saved but Jesus Christ. He tells us that. He tells us in 1 Timothy, He says, preach no other doctrine except Him crucified in Jesus Christ. He didn't say listen to their hogwash and let them read it in our church so that we can compromise and live peaceably. He said it is a war. There is no neutrality. That doesn't mean being mean and evil to people, but you can't just quarrel up and do nothing. You know, I heard the other day that the Pope may be going to let married men be priests. That's fine. I don't care. That's all right. I've always thought it was all right. You know what? But still, if that's been so important for thousands of years, what in the world are you doing doing away with it then? If it's been so important that you just would not compromise one iota, and all of a sudden you just get an epiphany that it's okay that we can do that because you know why? They said they couldn't get enough in the smaller congregations. They didn't have enough priests. And so we'll just compromise and let you come in any way you want to and go ahead where we'll have enough. That is, that's what I said. It's a war. There's no neutrality. There's no truce. You can't just say well, we're just going to straddle the fence right here. That's, that's not what God says. Let me read you what uh, the late Adrian Rogers said. He said, We do not have the luxury of neutrality. We must engage in the fight. 
God's will for His saints is not that we merely survive, but that we thrive in total victory. In total victory is what he said. Hey man. And that's what Nehemiah was saying here. We're going to build this wall. We're going to put the people back in it. And I don't care how many of you people are going to try to stop me that God has already ordained it. The king has given his blessings and finances with it. I'm going to do it here. God has already told you and me here. He, he's already told us that, that thank God, you know, uh, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, man, that's what uh, he, He's already promised us in, in 1 Corinthians there. But Nehemiah here, he, he uh, saw the need. He was deeply concerned. He wept and he prayed. He confessed his sins and the nations here. He committed himself to the project fully with it. You know, and, and so uh, he says here, I will arise and build. And as soon as he said that, Satan said, well, I will arise and destroy here. You know, and, and, and here in the Bible, anytime you see any of the ites, I-T-E-S at the end, Amobanites, Amorites, any of those, they're enemies of God. Amen. They're enemies of God if you got Ide in there. And so uh, he was full of them. They was all around him here. But they were the enemies of God here. And, but we're in a spiritual warfare. A spiritual warfare. This doesn't mean go out and we're fighting. I'm not talking about that. But a spiritual warfare that we should be fighting spiritually with it here. You know, the, the church, we're not a cruise ship. We're not a showboat. But we're a battleship. We're a battleship, and we don't like to think of that sometimes. We are. We're fighting evil. We're trying to keep this community a better place. Our home's a better place. And we're fighting constantly with the devil. There's a war going on, and it'll never stop as long as you breathe. It'll never go until, unless God comes again. It's going to be there. And so God needs His people to build that wall to have that wall so that we can be stronger and we can dart off some of the things that Satan would do to us because God has got that wall around us uh, to protect us here and to, and to keep us safe here. You know, but always, I want you to... Anytime, listen, anytime that anybody comes is trying to come back to God. Last week, we preached on backsliding and coming back to God. Anytime that any person... Satan always places roadblocks and obstructions in the way of somebody that's trying to come back to God. I've seen it over and over and over, and you have. Somebody that tries to come back to God, they'll pray, get close to God, Satan will jump on you, and he'll start giving you roadblocks, he'll cause interference, he's going to cause problems, you just wish to get ready. Because he doesn't want you to come back. He's going to jump or straddle you, and try to just destroy you. It's happened so many times people would come back into fellowship with God. It wouldn't last long enough for the wind to blow. And it was gone because Satan destroyed what they had done and they had been building the wall. So you'd better keep that wall built. You better stay on your knees. You better stay close to God here because it's a war. It's a war. We're fighting it. Every one of us is fighting Satan and it will always Fight it here. You know, in Ephesians 6 and 12 is where he said we'll, we wrestle against principalities and powers. You know, it's, it's who we wrestle against. And so we've got to be ready for it. Nehemiah was cautious. 
He was cautious. He surveyed the whole plan. He had a plan before he ever presented it to the people. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what God wanted him to do. And then he presented it to the people here. He did it in the right manner here. <laughs> you know, hey man. You know, uh, I, I saw we're being, I said, attacked all the time. You know, our local Henniger drive-in was attacked from all over the country with uh, malicious slander of Texas, you know, just because they wouldn't show a movie when they owned the thing and they should be able to show whatever they want to for whatever reason. But still, uh, they were just right, right there. You know, I was reading an article in that same magazine about the Boy Scouts, the, the, the wonderful Boy Scouts. You know, I, I thought so much, you know, how the Boy Scouts have always been traditionally such a good organization now. But, you know, they're, they're falling apart. They've torn their walls down. And uh, they're, they're uh, letting because of an eight-year-old transgender has sued them. And so they're allowing that, that you've got to decide, uh, you know, whatever your decision is, an eight-year-old. Eight-year-old. Eight-year-old hasn't got no business decide nothing much. Much less something like that. And we think that's smart. But anyway, uh, there's alternative... I read about that. There's the, the alternate trails of life for USA. It's something like it's another Boy Scout, so we can make another one. Make a different one. You tear down the walls, you tear down something that's been sacred for years here and, and so forth. But are the walls in your life broken down this morning? I just want to ask you. Bill, get in a song, Brother Jeff, just in a minute. Are your walls broken down? Are your defenses gone? Are your defenses gone this morning? Is the enemy surrounding you? Do you feel like you're just surrounded by the enemy? He's darting you from everywhere? Are you falling to temptations that's coming on the scene? Well, if you are, we need to follow the example that Nehemiah did. Build that wall. Build that wall back up so that God can help you and strengthen you and give you the courage and the strength that you need. You know, Isaiah 59 and 19, it says, the Bible says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. There's a standard to live by. There's a standard to, to govern a church by. There's a standard to run a nation by. And that's what he said. It, uh, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard to the people. Amen. <clears throat> Go ahead, Brother Jeff. <laughs> 